Welcome to the Success with God and Psych podcast, where it's all about a purpose-driven life where God and psychology mix together and guide your way. And now, your host who's funny, informative, and a straight shooter, doing this so you have a better life, Dr. Jessica Kersner. Hey, 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 you know what I like to say, there's no better day than today for blessings, impact, and purpose. And today we continue with my special guest, Rick Peterson out of Philly. Uh, Rick is going to continue talking with us today. And today we're going to hear Rick talk about um, the after he met his biological parents, what happens there, and then beginning the path of fighting drug addiction um, in this second segment uh, of this. And so Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and begin. All right. And so we're back with Rick Peterson. And last time Rick shared his story with us and um, such a a powerful story. Uh, We started with Rick when he was about five and six years old, all the way until uh, when he went through foster care in the foster system, ended up getting adopted. And um, when he got adopted, it was not necessarily the best environment. And when in that environment, he started using drugs. Um, You know, he found a person at age 13 that made him, that gave him some relief in the storm, as I would like to quote it from what uh, Rick said last time. And at some point he went from no dry to live to and thinking he would be dead by 21, 22, till he had a place, uh, a point in time where he felt he wanted to live. And so in the time that we're in in Rick's life, he's still angry, frustrated, hurt. Um, he moved out from the, from the parents that were adopted him and rented a room somewhere else. Uh, he dated a girl, his mom, still kind of unhealthy all the way around, did some drugs. And then now we're going to pick up Rick's life where Rick says, okay, at this point, at 18 years old, he found his real parents. And so, Rick, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's been a, it's been a good day. How about yourself? Um, it's been a long day. <laughs> um, you know, some things uh, went on during the course of the day that I wasn't terribly pleased about. But, um, you know, that's that's the day. And uh, my work situation's a little crazy, but it's about to improve. And, and, and you know, so I'm on the positive, you know. Okay. Yes, and... Um, well, I guess we could talk about that work situation when we get to this point in your yeah, life. Yeah, we'll that, yeah, yeah. I want to hear more about it, but I'll wait so we can do it in, in order. Um, but, best so us, be. Yeah, so let's dive in. So you said... Um, at, can I say something real quick? Yes, sir. Um, i just like to, you know, um, thank everybody that has listened and that has, um, you know, uh, reached out to this particular, um, I guess... Uh, you know, episode thing of your podcast and because um, I'm really, you know, very, very into helping people. And I, I hope that, you know, that, that we get the, you know, the positive results that we need and, and to help others. And, and I'm all about it. And it's a great experience for me. I just wanted to put that out there. And I hope that, you know, some people are getting some great help from it. Yes. And so far we have gotten a lot of uh, listener feedback that this has been really powerful. Some new listeners are chiming in because they really want to hear the rest of your story. And at the end of it, I'm actually going to extend people to um, email in 
um, questions that we will do a sure. follow-up segment for. And um, even if they want to give statements of how this has impacted them, how you've helped them, or even questions just to follow up, asking your advice, asking for help. And so we're going to do an episode of that, and I'm going to talk about that at the end to we, so we can do a continuation. And so you sure. Can do, um, add that piece because it's a valuable, this is a valuable story. It has so much impact Thank and you. so much help. And um, and I want to give people, not just when we finish today, that, okay, you have this and we drop off, like, so they can tell you if this has impacted them, but also then they can ask questions too and you can respond. And so sure. we're going to do that. Okay. All right, so 18, you found your real parents. Let's jump in. So tell me more about it. Yeah, um, I, I need to say this too. Sometimes, um, because this is, uh, you know, a lot of things that have happened over many, many years. And um, sometimes I might be a little off chronologically. Um, and I actually gave some thought to something we had talked about before. Um, there was a brief period of time actually before I found, uh, and it's really important, before I found my um, real parents um, where I actually did a brief stint in the military. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I, um, I, uh, one person that I was actually really close to in my adoptive family was my Uncle Jimmy. Um, he lived out in uh, Muncie, Indiana. Um, you know, he's a teacher. I don't want to say where, you know, put his stuff out there. But he, uh, he was a, a, a teacher at a university and um, really great guy, uh, really um, positive influence on my life, um, very accepting of me um, and would correct me on some definitely not cool behaviors. But in a in a in a positive way, in in a way that would make someone, regardless of their age, say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I need to take a look at this," but not feel like they're being like chastised, put down, told that they're garbage. You know, which I think he understood was very very important. He knew, obviously, being married to uh, um, one of my adoptive father's three sisters, that you know he knew the family, knew how they were. And knew that they were extremely uh, difficult to deal with just on a regular basis, let alone being a parent. So he was really helpful to me also. Um, um, Not so much, you know, just like dramatically, but just sort of like behind the scenes and with some helpful advice and sort of in a nurturing way. Really great guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, um, when I was staying, I I hitchhiked from Philadelphia to... um, Muncie, Indiana, and I stayed with my Uncle Jimmy for a little bit, and um, uh, my cousin was there too, um, his daughter, and we were really, really tight. We were both actually adopted. She was adopted as well, and um, so, of course, we had that kind of bond. Um, She was a wild child. I was a wild child, Um, so uh, when I was there, though, um, you know, it turned out not to be a great idea, but... Michael Jimmy was just trying to find some direction for me and a way to, to get some footing under me. So, um, without getting into the whole process of why it happened, but it's too lengthy, but, um, uh, I joined, um, I signed up and I actually got in, uh, to the military. Um, I was stationed at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I flew from Muncie to Dallas and then out to Fort Sill. I actually completed my basic, um, did the basic and, uh, back then basic was 12 weeks. I believe it's eight now. Uh, cause they're really pushing guys through, which is a shame because they're going out on, you know, not fully trained, 
But um, at any rate, uh, I did that and came actually came home to my adoptive parents for a week. Okay. Um, they let me stay. It was it was actually uh, uh, not. I wouldn't say like a positive experience. It just wasn't negative. It was sort of bland and sort of blah. But I think even to them, there was a small spark of oh, well, at least it's positive. And you know, I felt like well, at least they're accepting of it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, although I was not a big fan of having my head shaved. <laughs> um. Um, but I went back and actually when I had gone back to base, you have a week before you get sent out to where you're going to be stationed. And I was supposed to go to Seoul, South Korea. Um, and I was playing a game of pickup football and I ran to catch a pass and stepped in a rabbit hole and destroyed my knee. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah. So I actually being a kid and not knowing any better, I signed some papers and they gave me about $8,200 and those papers I signed though in the small print. Thus, they say you always read the small print uh, was basically all they were ever going to give me. I could never get, you know, medical discharge uh, uh, designation and I never got another dollar out of it, which I should have because my left uh, my left knee was completely I mean, I'm sorry, my right knee was completely wrecked, destroyed. And, uh, you know, it took me back then. You didn't have all the things you have now. So it took me, I'd say, about 10 months to walk right again. So, but anyway, just shortly just after like that, you were out of the military, just like that. And, but there was also some other things. I had a big argument with a drill sergeant and he actually pulled me aside and said, you really don't want to be here, do you? And I said, not even in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that I remember the day I left uh, with this big brace on my leg with screws through it and crutches and, uh, but I was happy to have on my jeans and my combat boots, and my black Sabbath t-shirt and be on my way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was just happy to leave. It just wasn't for me. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of stuff that comes to the military too, as far as, you know, um, there's a lot of like, uh, hate, hateful things and they show you films and, you know, who's supposed to be quote unquote the enemy. And it just didn't interest me. So, um, but anyway, when I came home, um, I shortly thereafter, I was actually, um, the way that I found my parents actually was that I, um, I was hanging out with some friends and we were having a few beers and listening to some Black Sabbath. And my friend said, Hey, why don't you just look in the phone book? And I did. And the third, uh, Richard Peterson, I called in the phone book was my father. The third one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty wild. Um, it was pretty incredible experience um, because I, had, you know, it had only been about five years, but it was a very intense five years of wanting my parents and, and wanting to know why this happened and, and wanting to know who I was and where I came from. And even though I knew my parents, I was just, so I really wanted to know about me and about them. And uh, I was very, very, very much uh, at least for me, felt a very close bond to my mom, uh, not my father at all in any way. Um, but I did find out that I had a uh, brother and a sister. Um, my dad had remarried and he had uh, two children, my brother Josh and my sister Desiree. Oh, wow. um, and that was a pretty incredible experience because now I was a big brother and uh it was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, my, my father, unfortunately, um, was very, uh, I don't know how to put it, but we met, my, my father was a, a very, very bad alcoholic. 
And uh, when I actually met him, I met him at a bar out in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And the first thing he asked me was, he heard the people that adopted me were rich that I have any money. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that wasn't a real good start. Um, I got pretty angry about it. I, you know, basically, I'm not going to get into all the language I used, but basically, he said, are you kidding me, man? you got to be kidding me that you just asked me. My first question. Yeah, go ahead. Do you want to say something? that was his first question. Yeah, that was his first question. Um, but I actually ended up living with my uh, real father, I'd say for about six months. And it actually went, you know, reasonably well. I got a job. He knew some people, so I got a job at a restaurant. Okay. And, you know, busting suds or whatever, you know, teenager job. And um, uh, I got me and my little brother, Josh, were really cool. Um, you know, it was, it, it was a period of time of, like, getting, you know, to – adjusting to a new member of the family for them and, and, and a new family for me really to think about so it. So when you were there, um, so when you were there, the emotional experience, how was it in that six months? It was so weird. Yeah. It, you know, there's a huge gap of time, you know, in 12 years. And, um, you know, it, you know, I had become, you know, or, or was on my way to becoming, uh, uh, an adult, however irresponsible and crazy I may have been. Um, but I still was on my way to becoming an adult and, you know, uh, spreading my wings, stretching my arms, feeling myself a little bit <laughs> more than I probably should at that age. Um, but actually one of the best experiences from it was, even though my brother and I were cool, my sister Desiree and I got extremely close. Um, you know, her and Josh were only a year apart in age. Um, but, you know, obviously, her and I were, were drastically, uh, you know, different. With my sister, um, we became really close, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, there was, I'd say, a, I'm just giving a rough guess. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was about a, a 12 to, yeah, about a 12, uh, maybe a 11-year gap, something like that. And she was really excited to have a big. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was really great. And I was excited to be one for both of them. But just for some reason, for whatever reason, Desi and I were really tight. And um, I had, uh, you know, I had to look like my hair had since grown back. And, you know, because it was a little while, it was starting to grow back. And, um, you know, I had to trench coat the boots and, uh, my first tattoo and, you know, I had some, you know, my chains and my crosses and all that cool stuff. And, you know, my nails were painted black. And so, you know, and my sister was kind of like, she liked rock music. And so to her, it was like, wow, that's my big brother. Look at him. He's so neat. <laughs> and for all that I really took on, I loved it. And I, you know, I took her everywhere with me. Um, you know, I even started like for a period of time. Anyway, I hung out with like my wilder friends less and, you know, would take her like to do things I liked. I'd take her to South Street or in Philadelphia, or I'd take her to comic book stores with me or the mall. Just, you know, cool stuff for a little girl to do. Yeah. So at this point, and, you're being a role model for her. You were doing positive oh, things. Now. Okay. Can you hear me like this? Yes, I can hear you. Um, oh, cool. We're but you were being, a, you were being a, a role model for her. Like you were doing positive things I, for her. I think, I think, um, I don't know if I'd go as far as say a role model, but I think just someone to bond with and and to look up to and to feel, you know, like 
quote unquote cool with. Like, I think she felt that way. And I wanted her to feel that way. I wanted her to feel good about herself. And, mm-hmm. um, she was a little bit more, Desi was very, uh, I don't know. She's just very like, not like, you know, self-centered, but, but centered to self, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like just like, un- like very just quiet and kept herself. And, and yet she had this little wild side too. And I think like when I came around, sort of gave her permission to let that side out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I, I was happy to help her do it. <laughs> and so you were so. 18, 19 at this time. Yeah, and uh, 19, and I think she was about seven, I think. Okay, okay, so she was about seven, and uh, so her wild things were like, what, just like, I'm going to run through the park? (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, I don't mean wild like that. I mean, like, like the way I was wild. I just mean, like, like for her, you know, she was discovering rock music, and she'd be all jumping around and wild, and you know, like the music and with me, she, you know, she didn't like the hard, hard stuff I liked yet, yet, but she, um, I think she, she was kind of like, um, as I found out later too, much later, of course, is, you know, she, um, was later on in her teen years was, um, attracted to girls instead of guys. And I think, you know, that she found that, in the way that I was, you know, quote unquote, sort of a rule breaker and did my own thing and had my image and the way I looked and whatever, it sort of gave her an avenue to follow to be her own self mm-hmm. and to discover herself and to be the little girl and, and you know, uh, a teen girl that she was meant to be. And and I loved her for it. And I, I, I like, I, I my, my, my love for Desi is is unending uh she is a part of my heart um she's unfortunately no longer with us but i'll get to that later um, but she it, but uh, back then it kind of was like you provided a place for her to belong kind of like you felt before where you said you just like just in your freeness you gave her that ability to be free and that she connected yeah, and belonged you know, yeah yeah, I think, um, and also my dad's my dad's second wife uh, was very, um, she was just weird and why she had a wild side too and was was restrictive in some ways, but then just really out of bounds, wild and others. Okay, um, you know, so I think it just gave Desi a place to feel okay about herself and to start or to start feeling okay about herself to say, hey, you know what, I, I'm okay, I'm me, like. My brother loves me. You know, like, I loved her just for her. Just, she was fine the way she was. Well, like you said last time, you know, it made her feel like she had some value. She could connect to something, and which is important, right? Absolutely. Especially when you're at that age. Yeah. Super important. Yes. You know, I think that so much is put out there about, you know, not that you just want to be recklessly wild and, 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 you know, as I had to learn the hard way, but but, um, you still want to be... You still want to be okay in your own skin. You want to be, you know, we all want to be, um, uh, you know, uh, in some ways we, you know, the biggest thing I think the the most major important thing of, of being a human being is, is that we all want to connect Yes. and we all want to feel loved yet society spends so much time separating us. You know, you ever stand outside in an apartment building and look, you have all these little blocks 
that everybody lives in. And you could live in next to somebody for 20 years and have no idea about them, know nothing about them. And, you know, our society is so built on separation. And, um, yeah, it's the way we're wired is, is to, is to connect and, and be included. And, and we all want to be a part of whatever it is that we want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. And I think with me, Desi found a place where she could be comfortable or, or learn to be comfortable in her own skin. You know, she's still yeah. very young at this point. So, you know, she's not all the way with there with that yet, but she's just sort of feeling like, Hey, I'm okay. Started at that place. And it, it was solidified kind of when you stayed there for that six months, it was something that, that lasted through that, that stay until you, and, yeah, and we, we remained close um, for a good while uh, until I had some issues in my own life that um, caused me to withdraw from like period, you know, drug issues that had nothing to do with not wanting to hang out with her. It was just the drugs were eating me up. Okay, so you found your birth dad, stayed there, and you got these siblings now, and you and one of your siblings become really, really close. And that's not to say Josh was discounted, but you and Desiree. Josh and I were so close. We just, I just had a different bond with Desi. That's all. Yes. Um, Relationships are one of life's most precious gifts, but one side of relationships, they suck. You give time, love, advice, but when you truly need someone, you feel alone. How do you turn those one-sided relationships into fulfilling ones for you? Tell them you value them and why. Something such as, I love talking to you because you're honest and caring. State expectations. No one is a mind reader, guys. I would love to talk to you every day, no matter what is going on. Tell them that. Walk it out. Simply be to them who you want in return. Give praise and thanks. It feels good, increases behavior, says, I want more. Drop your pride and ask. Give them the opportunity to be there to help you. Lastly, choose people wisely. Use observation, prayer, and wisdom. No, everyone shouldn't be that close to you. That was your Focus Me Minute. I'm Dr. Jessica Curzon of HealingAxe.K. Email me at focusmeminute@gmail.com. I was at it, and um, I picked up a box, and the bottom of the box was sort of dry rotted, and it, it fell out. And a little, one of those little black phone books we used to all have, um, you write your numbers real small in, <laughs> uh, fell out. And my dad said, hey, let me see that for a minute. And uh, it turned out that it had my mother's brother's phone number in it and 12 years later, and he had never changed it. Um, so I called, uh, who also, by the way, his, his name was, uh, he was an Uncle Jimmy, uh, different, real family, different, same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, so I called him and I told him who I was, and he absolutely was shocked. Uh, he was like, Sharon's son, my sister's son. And I was like, yeah. And um, by the way, I throw in here too, there was a really weird experience. I had this friend, John, and uh, we used to smoke a lot of weed. And <laughs> he was buying weed from someone. And he kept, I had this cousin, Leanne, and he, you know, she was very, she stuck out. Right? She had fire red hair and very pretty. And, uh, you know, obviously my mother's sister's daughter. And uh, Leanne and I, before I was gone, were, were very close. She loves me to death and would protect me. And I was very small when I was little. And um, Leanne was a big girl, and she would stick up for me. And uh, <laughs> and so we were very close. And so my friend John told me, you know, I keep seeing this girl. And she's like, you're described. And I'm like, dude, like, don't play around like that. And he's like, no, dude, I'm dead serious. And it turned out it was her. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Weird, like. So, sort of domino effective like 
I found my dad, then I found my mom, then I found Leanne. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. Like, all of a sudden, it just was like a rush of emotions and 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 love and anger and hate and acceptance and not acceptance and weirdness and just <laughs> strangeness. So you're, so you're talking like, to your um, uncle, and he says, oh, my sister's son. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so I told him, I said, listen, uh, you know, could you call my mom? And, um, oh, well, first I said, do you know where she is? And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, she's alive. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so I said, could you call her and see if she wanted to talk to me? Because if she didn't, I didn't want to hear it. I just did not want to hear that from her. I just figured if he told me, I would just push it away. Like all the other emotions, I would just stuff it down, push it away, make it go away. And never happened um uh he called me back i'd say roughly in like a minute and said you'll call her right away and so i called her and she was beside herself she was like oh my god my baby my son and the first words out of her mouth was like i didn't want to give you away i love you so much please come home and uh and i did i came home and uh it was i I don't even know how to, I think, you know, adequately uh, describe to you um, what that was like. Uh, I, my mom and her boyfriend at the time, uh, which is so funny too, because my mom was about five four, and her boyfriend was about six 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 seven three twenty. Oh wow! Huge guy. He, he was monster. Yes, he was very tall. Uh, he, well, he was also just a big guy. He uh he ran a crane operators union in Philadelphia, um, and he also had uh, tried out for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns. So he's a really big guy. Uh, and I mean, I shook hands with him, and his hands just swallowed mine right up. Can you see it? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I I remember my mom getting out of the car. And the both of us just tears just pouring out and and a whole lot of sorries and I love yous and please come home and where you know, where are you? Where do you live? What do you need? Are you okay? Like just a rush of everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and so I actually explained to her what was going on and so her and her boyfriend was extremely gracious about everything I mean really great like you know he wanted to have children and my mother absolutely did not want to have another child uh refused to wasn't up for discussion didn't want to do it uh felt she had made a terrible mistake and didn't want to repeat it even think about repeating Mm -hmm. So, um, discuss repeating it, nothing. Uh, so, um, you know, for him to, to accept her son in that way was extremely gracious and kind of him. And, uh, you know, uh, I can say his first name, Dan- Danny was a great, great guy. He took good care of my mom. Uh, I always respect him for that. And, uh, he actually tried to get me involved in like, you know, uh, the unions and stuff, but I was so wild. And I didn't have any direction and, it takes a lot of discipline to learn those trades. And uh, I don't even drive a car, let alone run a uh, monstrous crane that knocks over buildings. So <laughs> um, that wouldn't have been a good idea. It's not for me. But 
my point being uh, uh to tie that up is that he was just very very kind about all of it mm-hmm. um he never complained about it you know he would give me money to you know make sure i had something in my pocket and go out and look for jobs or even if i wanted to go to an Aussie concert or something he'd give me money for the ticket he's just really nice guy really really nice. mm-hmm. um you know and uh so i stayed with my mom and actually it's funny the the first real like time we hung out um my my mom absolutely had no love loss for my for my birth father, but for me and for how much it meant to me, we actually she invited him over to the house actually. Um, so it was me, my mom, my dad, and Leanne all hanging out together, and wow. for me that was huge. It was like I mean I literally sat there in front of everybody and didn't give a shit. Like I just excuse me I'm sorry, and and cried like the baby. It was it was such a like a weight taken off me. I had wanted it so badly, and 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 I had it. And I will say that the true statement I've ever heard in life is, "Be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it." Um, so, <laughs> but, so then uh, you have this moment. moment uh huh. Go ahead. For that moment, it was the most incredible experience of my life. You know, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I had. Don't get me wrong, like. Uh, in hindsight, and, and being older, much older now, <laughs> uh, and knowing um, why my behaviors were what they were, and why people were doing the things they were doing in this big mishmash of two families and people trying to raise me in their way, uh, I had some incredibly uh, positive experiences with my adopted parents. I mean, I've been to Greece, France, Belgium, Italy, Holland, England, you know. Um, uh, I, I've experienced other cultures and learned learned about a lot about the world from them that I probably wouldn't have. I mean, I would have read about it, but I may not have ever been there. Um, and it also uh, instilled in me the the excitement. Um, although I, I had it on my own anyway before I was away from my real parents, the excitement about learning and discovering and 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 whatever subjects I did enjoy, going full tilt and learning everything about it I could. Um, and so I, I got some positive experiences from them. I saw plays and and, and uh, realized the excitement of live music from from them. And mm-hmm. you know, although it was my music, not their music, but uh-huh. still, you know. Um, so I got a lot of positive things out of that, but just far too far too much violence, negativity, anger, uh, frustration. Uh, just too much. Yes. Too much. Both so sides. now when you, when you have your birth mom, you have your biological father, you have Leanne, who's this cousin who was really close to you. And um, you have all these pieces that, you know, you long for when you're, you're out of place. You know, you're like, if I had this bag, what would it be like? And then you get it back. And so in that moment is surreal. But then like, having all those pieces back, how was life then? How did it become? Um, well, um, the glow of, you know, uh, my mom letting him come over, that wore off real fast. Because um, my dad and I would occasionally spend time together. And he usually wanted, because now I was old enough, I could go to a bar and have a drink. And my dad would call me and say, hey, you know, tell your mom that um, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, but let's go to the bar and check out some girls and have a few drinks. And that's what we would do. I mean, you know, it was my dad and he was letting me 
you know, be sort of what I was already doing anyway, except in an adult, you know, way. Uh, uh, however adult you're going to be at 18 or 19, 20, whatever. And, um, you know, he would let me go to the bar and we'd have drinks and we'd hit on the girls, even though my dad was married. Um, but it was a very miserable marriage too. I'll say that, but, um, still doesn't excuse, you know, being out messing around your wife. And, uh, um, that's something I've never done by the way, my entire life. I, I don't cheat on my girl, mm-hmm. but, um, at any rate, uh, um, I just never understood the appeal of that. But anyway, um, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, and one part of me, I loved it. Me and my dad. I remember my mom one time. I, she said, "You call me in two hours, and you let me know, Richard, where you and that damn father of yours are at." <laughs> and uh, you know, I had to lie about it, and I was like, "Oh, you know," because I had actually hurt my knee. And my dad was supposed to drive me to the hospital because my mom didn't drive and she didn't have a car, so she got my dad to take me, but we never went. And uh, we went to the bar and started tearing it up. And then when she said, "When are you going to be home?" I said, oh, "I'm just going to crash at dad's." And she was furious because she knew what he did. She knew that he gave me the okay to go to the bar and drink. And, you know, she's not stupid. She could hear the noise in the background, even though we tried to, I don't know, quiet the bar. <laughs> but that's good. Uh, your mom and, was trying to be a mom. Like, actually, at that point, she still yes, she was. She was being a mom. Yeah, she was being a mom. Absolutely. And and I think, too, um, you know, I got to say, in, in hindsight, my mom and I, over the years, had some horrifying fights, terrible experiences, really bad where I really lost control of myself and she said some god-awful stuff to me that really brought me to tears. And, um, but I, I gotta say that um, I adore my mom and she's a fighter and she's tough and the part of me, which I didn't know, you know, of course, until many years later, I, I, I actually am a believer in the fact that you know, uh, some of the the characteristics and the actual quote unquote put into action ways that we live, the things that get tested and how we see who we are and, you know, whether it's flight or, you know, fight or flight or what we'll do. Uh, My ability to stand my ground and, and take no, you know what, um, uh, is absolutely in my blood from my mother. I absolutely Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to take a break right here, and then we're going to come right back and pick it right back up. Okay? Sounds like a plan, right. Doc. <laughs> Meet Fred. Fred once felt stuck in a rut, and he had trouble connecting with other people. Then Fred read the book Path to Loving Yourself by Dr. Jessica Kersner. Fred found the book interesting and exciting. The down-to-earth approach that the book takes helped to increase his self-esteem. Now, Fred spends less time feeling bad, and he grew to first love himself. Eventually, he gained the capacity to connect with others. You too can benefit from The Path to Loving Yourself by Dr. Jessica Kirshner. Get your copy for only $9.95 from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. That's Path to Loving Yourself by Dr. Jessica Kirshner. Get up on your signed copy at healingaxcoach.org. We're back with Rick Peterson, and he's telling us his story. And so to continue where we're at, Rick, you said, okay, so you get all your parents around, and then now you're spending time with your father. And I guess right. your, 
trying to bond in his own way. Um, and he's taking you out a drink. You know, you guys are going to the bars and hanging out. And then mom's trying to be a mom, you know, and yeah. um, you're staying with her now, right? Yeah. Okay. Together. Okay. I'm working. Excuse me, I'm eating a cracker. <laughs> um, That's okay. We're, we're working. I mean, I'm working. Um, you know, just like little little construction jobs here and there. And, um, you know, um, a lot of ways, too, my mom and I are still in that um, kind of in recovery, like that pink cloud kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, everything's great. Love each even despite the thing with my dad, but basically, you know, we love each other, everything's great, we found each other, there's no problems. Um until um my drug addiction issues start to really rear their head um with hard drugs, um, free base. Um, you know, a lot of free base, smoking coke. Um, and actually had sat down with my mother and done a few lines. Um, uh, only on New Year's would they uh, bust out a line or two. And um, however crazy that may sound, but for her, she could just party once and then leave it alone for a whole year. For me, I everything had to go. Like, as soon as we started doing it, I have to do everything. Can I have another? Can I have another? Can I have another? Like, real addiction like uh you know and it's rearing's head and when i'm drink, even when i'm drinking my my mother's sitting there going wow like my mom even said wow you're a peterson <laughs> you know because i could really belt him back at a, at the age of 19 and 20 like i could drink you under the table then um and uh can you hear me i can hear you okay uh, i'm sorry um, and you know, the free basing issue is, is starting to rear its head badly. Um, not, you know, in front of them, but, uh, you know, they, you can tell that I'm going a lot harder, but it's starting to show in, um, in my physical and, uh, you know, I'm tired a lot. I'm sleeping a lot. Um, staying out, you know, past the hours and my mom wanted me to come home because we sort of had this like weird, like sort of like, it was like one of those, you know, uh, those, those um, carnival rides with the boat where the boat goes way up and the boat goes way up the other way and it goes way up the other you know her parenting and me trying to you know sort of be my own guy because i had been raising myself basically forever mm-hmm. uh, so find that balance but- like okay well if i want to have my mom i'm gonna have to listen to some rules and if she wants to be a mom she's gonna have to understand and i'm starting to grow up and head towards being a man and so it's you know what i mean yeah, but um, not, on, on the outside, you got the dichotomy too, though, because you got your parents and they're trying to say, okay, grow up the right way. But then on the other side, you got your dad, you're doing alcohol, you're drinking alcohol with, you know, your mom, you're doing some drugs with here. And so it's still kind of reinf- It's kind of like do what I say, not as I do type thing, you know? And I mean, I want to, I, I don't want to, listen, I mean to cut you off, but I don't want to misrepresent, I don't, I don't want to minimize. The fact that her and I got high a few times, but I also don't want to make it where it was like it's like me and her were sitting around getting high all the time. It wasn't like that. No, it happened a few times, and then it didn't happen again. And she wasn't pleased with herself for doing it, and I even felt uncomfortable. Like, should I really mean it? 
messed up with my mom. Like, <laughs> it's sort of something like I do with my friends. Like, she's not supposed to see this. I got Like, it. you know what I mean? So yeah. it was weird. And um, I think it might have happened. It's an experience, though, that... I said it still is an experience, though, that when you look back on it, you know, it's just one of those things that it happened and it is still salient. Like you said, you don't want to minimize it. It's not the end all be all. Either you want to magnetize it on the other end, but it still is an experience that is a salient one. You know, both of both of those are huge experiences that, you know, um, it, those are huge in your life, and I'll I'll tag on it later. But it still is one of those things that when you have this place, you know, when you, um, as a kid, and and I always I always try to tell people that you know, because even in my house with my husband, we always say we want our we want to do with our kids and not just say. And you know, when you sure, sure. you want to do what you tell them you're going to do. Yes. Yeah. But when kids see you, you know, it's not that your kids don't see you make mistakes, but there are certain things that when you you do certain things with your kids, it's hard for just because of the natural place kids are in when they're in their teens or you're a young adult, you know, when you have those experiences, it makes it harder for them to be motivated to take your advice, you know? Oh, um, <laughs> and so that doesn't say that they're, I'm not trying to say they were horrible, but I'm saying those things lead to a place where it's hard for you to have fought yourself extra <laughs> because you. Saw- I, I agree. I agree. It didn't, you know, I, I remember having arguments with my mother about, um, my my drug use and stuff and saying wait a minute you sat there and you did this with me and you partied when you were younger and now all of a sudden i'm the bad guy like having those kind of stupid arguments when you don't know what you're talking about and you're not understanding that you're going somewhere completely different with it than she did yeah um, but although still, she, had it a hand, she had a hand in it you yeah. know so but it still is it's, uh, a, it's a valid place though because at that point you're like okay now everyone's saying i'm bad but we were doing this at one point together you know, and like you said, Absolutely. you couldn't control that's, it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that, um, that's that's huge, though. And I don't want, I mean, I know you don't want to magnetize it, and I'm not trying to make it the end-all, be-all, but I do want to put a pin there to say, you know, at that point, if you were trying to fight yourself, that makes it harder to then take all, the, you know, the good instruction they were giving you, because then you you unfortunately got to see too much of the negatives, you know, like, um, I agree. Um, I, I agree with that. In hindsight, I definitely agree. Yeah. But anyway, so go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to put that there for, you know. No, no, no that's cool. That's fine. Okay. So um, you had to stuff with your mom. You're going to make points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that's your job. Um, so anyway, um, there came a time where, um, you know, it was just time for me to not live with my mom you know not because of anything terribly drastic it was just time for me to mm-hmm. to do my own thing and um how so i actually then? ended up what's that how old were you then uh i'd say i was 20 21 maybe okay so you stayed with uh, your mom a couple of years yeah 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 we were i, I stayed there for about two years okay good uh maybe a little bit you know or a little bit two and some change okay um uh, there came a point where um, I was really heavily involved with selling and, of drugs, and I um, uh, made some bad decisions in that area from a just from a pure business perspective. Regardless of what the business was, I made some bad decisions because, as they say, banana can't a monkey can't sell a banana can't sell monkeys. A monkey can't sell bananas. <laughs> um, and I was about to say a banana can't sell monkeys. Um, 
anyway, so, um, you know, uh, this monkey was trying to sell bananas and it really wasn't working out well. Uh, I was eating a lot more of the bananas than I was selling. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, I decided to take something that didn't belong to me in that department from those people. Um, so me and my friend had to get out of Dodge. It was dangerous. Uh, we probably made it more in our minds, more dangerous and reckless than it actually was. Uh, it wasn't like we were dealing with Pablo Escobar, but, uh, you know, we were dealing with some dangerous cats. And, um, so we took off and, uh, on the way, um, uh, to where we were going to sort of hide out, uh, the car broke down and it broke down in a garage. Um, and, uh, we broke out some of the party materials with the guys that were fixing the car and they did the same with what they had. And, uh, it was lines of what I thought were cocaine and they turned out to be heroin. Oh, wow. Uh, so we're going even harder once, now. And, uh, you can't, you can't get any harder. Yep. Um, and so I knew even with all the drug stuff I was doing, I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. Hold up. <laughs> pump the brakes. Nah, we're not doing this. So, um, I don't even think I recognized how I liked it because when you first do that drug, you immediately throw up. (laughs) So, um, if you get past that little point, which lasts about 10 minutes, then the euphoria comes. And when that euphoria comes, oh, does it come? And, um, it is a extremely, extremely allow me to take a minute to sidetrack here and say, I, I have to do this. Um, like anybody that has dabbled with opiates has, um, you know, obviously you heard of the stuff, you know, cross country from coast to coast, uh, that's going on with opiates right now. Um, it's nationwide and, uh, it, it's almost, it's, it's tragically comic that they say, oh, this epidemic. It never hasn't been an epidemic. Um, this drug has killed more of my friends and put them in the ground or given them life sentences behind trying to acquire money to do this drug than any. It's been the uh, uh, apex predator in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, has destroyed, it has been the great white shark of my life. It has destroyed everything that um, it's touched um, that I can possibly think of. Um, it's I overdosed from it 12 times um, and continue to use. Um, I, I, I can't even put it into words. Um, but anyway, um, I got to a point where um, I was taking trips from I uh, ended up in New York. Uh, I lived in all actually lived in Albany for a while. I, I I'm sort of skipping around, but I ended up in Albany, New York. I I got married actually, because um, where we hid out was actually on the Cape, uh, Cape Cod, and I married a girl there. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into her life. That's okay. How long um, were you married? We met. We were married. What's that? How long were you married? Three years. Okay. Uh, but. I was extremely unfaithful. I got married uh, on my lunch break uh, at work, wearing a Megadeth t-shirt, some combat boots, some ripped up jeans, and a captain's jacket and American Express bow tie um, <laughs> that I bought at a, at a dollar store for a dollar. Um, I had no... Uh, my mom was against it from the, from the beginning. She thought the girl was absolutely incredible, which she certainly was. Great, great girl. 
really tried really hard to make a very young marriage work, and it was a freaking disaster. Um, this is a part of the story. Actually, you know what? I am going to stick to this for one second. This is a part of my story where I can honestly say that I'm ashamed of who I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a part where my actions were reprehensible. Um, I was ashamed of the man that I was, and rightfully so. I was violent. I was violent with my wife. Uh, I was, um, you know, extremely deep in addiction. Um, although I wasn't the heroin, then I was really bad with the free basing, really bad. Like, you know, my paycheck was going to it. I was unfaithful to my wife. Um, I was mean. I was just an awful person, awful person. Um, uh, the one thing that Freebase did to me that heroin didn't is it just made me violent and mean and nasty. It turned me into a fiend. Um, I was a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, except the only guy I was ever around was Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had it to the point where my wife was actually scared to be at home. Um, it's not like, no, I wasn't like hitting her and beating her up on a regular basis or something. But there were a few instances where I slapped her. Um, and I know this is hard for listeners to hear and they may think, oh, the scumbag. And at that time I definitely was a scumbag. Um, I was the lowest common denominator. Um, and it's important to say that because where I am now is such a drastic different mm-hmm. person. It's like, to me, even though that guy is, hasn't been out in 30 years, uh, I am always aware of that addiction can take me places that I don't want to go. And I'm not talking about being homeless. I'm talking about, or, you know, being strung out. Even I'm just talking about the the beast that comes out. Well, I think it's important because, you know, people, when I uh, have worked with addicts in the past, you know, everyone thinks that in the beginning I have control over it. Right. And then at some point the, the addiction takes control because it's an addiction and it is running your life and you kind of see what you're doing, but you know, you're not, in the place to stop any of that. And so I think it's at that point where your wife, the addiction has now taken over your whole life, your personality, you know, your thoughts, your every day. Um, and so I think it's a fair thing that you can say, okay, now I can look back on and say that person, oh my goodness. And there are things sometimes we make mistakes in our life. It's okay to say that I made that mistake and that was horrible, but that doesn't mean you're a whole person. You know, you just had a period of life that, me that was that was a bad period of life and i did some bad things that i'm sorry come here my cat is getting well my friend's cat that has uh, adopted me is it getting in the way here right <laughs> um cut it out motorhead um so anyway i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just saying that that was huge that you know you can say that you can look back on and say yeah that was that was not i was not proud of that person and that person did some horrible things but at the same time that person was the person that was taken over completely by the addiction like it had control of your mind your actions when you woke up the time you went to sleep and whether you even woke up or went to sleep (laughs) you know so it's like it's okay and it's fair to say you know those things were horrible and when I look back on it that was horrible but that does not mean you're a horrible person but at that time when you say if I look at me then I did not like who I was I and I don't want to be back there again and it serves as a motivation to continue i I will not be back there again yes um like i look i uh, there's something else important too is that that 
my dad, and I knew this from my, my mother telling me, and some very, like, sort of faded memories um, of my birth father, I knew that my dad had hit my mom. And I even, I, I kid you not, even in my teens, I always swore, like, whenever I have a girlfriend, I will never, ever put my hands on her. It was a big thing for me. Even though I had the violence in my life and I had the anger and the whole butcher notes under the pillow and all that stuff, I knew that those were outside experiences that happened to me that made me, and I didn't think consciously like this, of course, but I, I just fought that. I knew that wasn't me. I didn't want to be violent. I didn't want to be mean. I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want to be, uh, although I will say I often used anger as power um, to control others. Um, even my adoptive parents, uh, because they would not raise against me once my anger was out. Um, they would literally go into their bedroom and close the door. Um, um, but like, I'm trying to think of how to put it. Like, like the guy that came out at that marriage, uh, I'm just going to use her, her first initial T or unless did I say her name. I don't know if I did, <laughs> uh, to, the letter K, let's say K, the K, um, and it carried through to two other relationships where I was a really violent guy and scary to be around, um, and not just for them, just for anybody. My friends, people didn't want to hang out with me because I was explosive and dangerous. Um, you never knew when the violence would come out. I didn't know when it would come out. I was scared sometimes of who that guy was, mm -hmm. uh, and. The way just it's really important for me to say here, just since we're on the topic and then we can move on to other things. But, you know, the way that I was able to lay that guy to rest um, was that I knew that whatever came down the road, whatever problems I had with addiction, with life, with jobs, with whatever may come, spiritual things, whatever, I knew that I didn't want to hurt anybody, whether it was with words, physically, mentally, whatever. Um, I had been hurt so many times. And I think the only positive thing that came out of all that negativity and horrible, horrible, dark place is that it made me realize that, that you know, I love life and I love people and I love to see people shine. And when you treat someone that way, it's not just hard for them to shine. It's impossible. You're putting their light out. And nobody has the right to put someone else's light out. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was making it impossible for Kathy, Vanessa, and Jill. I'm just going to say their names. Heck with it. It's impossible, and you can edit if you need to. But that, those three women went through hell with me and didn't deserve it. They were all great girlfriends, although they had some mental health issues of their own, um, which made what I was doing, like the, oh, I'll fix them type thing, you know, that whole problem. Um, but I would, I want to say that each, each one of those women that went through that period with me of the violent guy were fantastic women, great girlfriends, um, wonderful, talented, creative, interesting, funny, exciting women. And I was very fortunate to have experienced a period of life that I did with each one of them. And uh, they unfortunately were not fortunate to have experienced life with me. Um, well, I think it's, I think, 
I think I want to say ahead. that I think it's interesting that you say that because one thing that you said when you were younger and you know you were you had all these people hurting you right you had all these people hurting you and people you were trying to trust and people that you know you were in a position that were supposed to be trustworthy you could lean on them had done all these things to you and it wasn't that they were all bad and we're not saying they were but you still ended up in a not good position right and so you had this place where you were like okay the thing that kind of motivated you was that you know um even though you had no drive to live there you were like I'm a fighter I can fight like all this anger and I, I can keep pushing through and I have to be going through this because I have a purpose and then you get to a place where you're like okay you when you met your first girlfriend and she was essentially the person that um, gave you that first place of connecting and then you felt empowered by being able to help her and it 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 uh gave you those strong characteristics of okay I am a person that can help other people and I'm going through this for something and it it gives you that I am not completely bad or I'm not completely flawed right and then when you get into this situation now and this addiction has taken over it's almost like at some point you had to say who am I because when you see that guy it is the complete opposite of who you knew yourself to be through the whole thing you're like okay wait you know I'm now hurting people I'm now the person that they were supposed to trust as their you know their husband or their guy and I'm hurting them and it's like wait so you have this moment where I have to confront, you had to confront yourself, you know, and say, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Man, you know, I'm, I'm now the big bad bear. Like I am hurting them. I'm this. And okay. I may not have control when that drug takes over, but I can try to gain control over doing that drug. So I don't become that person. And that's huge. Like that is a huge thing to me. Um, because some people could let that, some people can let that take them down because they say, okay, I made these mistakes and you don't use it as an empowering place to say, wait, wait, wait. But I, I was that person that was helping people. Like I like to see that lighten people and I don't like this place, you know? And I'm not saying that was an overnight thing. Cause obviously this took a, a period of time because addiction is a disease. And um, it right. takes, it takes you get to a place where you can see the damage is doing to you and you can see yourself. But um, still, when you got to that place, you now saw it and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I got to be the person that puts the light in. I can't be doing this. Um, And that's great. And so now how old are you after your third relationship where um, where you had after the third one for the last one where you say she was in where you were in the. still when you're the drug still had taken over how old were you at this point where now you're saying okay i don't like well let me um, let me interject here that i had taken some trips from um when, when kathy and i got divorced um i had taken some trips from um new york city to florida back and forth back and forth like and it's really important to say that geographically i was running all over the place because i was trying on one hand to escape me and leave the bad guy behind. And then on the other hand, I was trying to find me and see who the, where is the good guy. So where is the real me? Where is Rick? Who uh-huh. is this guy? Where the hell is he at? And um, of course, like, again, I, I would say this, and I probably don't have to. We, I don't consciously think of it in that way. Remember that dream job you had and life got in the way? That business startup? 
and things didn't go so right and the money and people weren't in line, that degree you wanted to finish, but something was always preventing it, that relationship you weren't ready for, that you still regret, you still wonder what would have happened had things been right. Winston Churchill said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. When you're not finishing these things talking about the negatives, you're the pessimist. When you find that one reason to keep pushing forward, you're the optimist. Be an optimist today. See your opportunities. You only need one reason to keep pushing forward, and that reason is you. You're the best reason for you to keep pushing past the obvious difficulties and still saying, yes, yes, I will do. Walt Disney said the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. So begin doing it today with no excuses. I'm Dr. Jessica Kersner with your Helenax Dr. K's Focus Me Minute. Email me questions or comments at focusmeminute at gmail.com. When I was down in um, uh, Florida on one trip, I started dating a girl down there, and um, she had vast experience with uh, heroin, and I went deep into a heroin addiction, which I started to do actually at the tail end of my relationship with Kathy. Um, And basically, from the time I was, I'd say... um, 22, 23, um, to the time of a year ago, I was on heroin. Mm-hmm. And you're time. 52 so, now, right? No, I'm not 52. I'm 50. <laughs> 50, sorry, 50. So that was when you were like 40, extras sorry, 40, 48 or 49. Don't tack on any extras. <laughs> so uh, 49. I want to get there, but yeah. Um, no, I, uh, actually, um, uh, uh, which we'll, you know, get to, um, I, I actually was clean for, I had periods of time where like I was clean for a year and a half. I was clean for two years. I got one where I was almost clean three. So there's periods of time where I was completely heroin free in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and not with, you know, methadone or anything like that. And then there's other times where I was on methadone, you know what I mean? Um, I, I've always searched been trying to break that, um, let me tell you, there's no battle that I have faced uh, that has been more taxing, destructive, and then on the other hand, rewarding when it when you succeed uh, than escaping um, heroin addiction. It's when you when you come out on the other end and there's like it's like this this incredible feeling of of like I'm about to I'm, I'm living now. I'm not just surviving, existing and like I'm living and I'm breathing and everything is brighter and colors are better and life is good. Like even when you don't have nothing, like, you know, in the standard society, oh I have or I don't have. Like but anyway, um so uh when I when I got involved with um when I got involved with uh uh this one particular girl, um we came back to New York and um I called my mom, my real mom, um, about six months into being back in New York, and she had no idea about the heroin. She didn't know. And I knew that I needed help. And um, it was the first time I tried to actually stop drugs, period. Like, really wanted to stop. And um, so uh, I called my mom, and I said, I'm in trouble. And she was like, what's going on? And I said, I need your help really bad. I need to come home. And she was like, what is going on? And I said, um, 
she said, you, are you just like bouncing around? You have no job. And this is exactly how I told her. I said, um, oh, I have a job. And she said, what's that? And I said, I'm a full-time IV heroin addict. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what? And I said, yeah, I'm addicted to heroin. And she said, how are you doing it? And I said, I'm shooting up. And she was distraught. And it took her about 20 seconds. And all of a sudden she had the guy I told you about, Danny, that good guy on the phone with me. And he said, you know, you got to get yourself down here. I don't know how you're going to do it, but get your ass down here and I'll take care of the rest. And that he did. Um, I came back. Um, I'll be honest with you. I ripped off some kids for some money, got some heroin, uh, enough to make sure I wouldn't be sick until they could get me into whatever they were going to get me into. And through his connections and some very, very kind people in unions and stuff like that, they got me into a very, very, very good treatment facility. And I went through my first full uh, heroin withdrawal. Uh, and back then, they didn't give you methadone or anything. You just had to go cold turkey mm-hmm. in a room. And um, I literally spent five days curled up on a ball, in a ball on the bathroom floor, uh, shaking, shivering, vomiting, in agony, muscles cramped, crying, threatening to leave a thousand times, begging for just one shot uh, to take the pain away, mm-hmm. to take the madness away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hands down the most agonizing. I wouldn't wish it on the devil. Um, it's <laughs> I've never felt anything like it, and I've been through it numerous times. Um, and it's just, just nothing nice about it. There's no way to you know. And those people are like, "Hey, it's just like having the flu." Well, I'll tell you what: you give me the flu, and I'll give you that, and we'll see who comes out on the other end. Uh, it's not like having the flu. It's like being dragged through hell mm-hmm. um, that you feel like you'll, at the time, you feel like you, and, and I didn't sleep for almost 72 days. Wow. Um, and I don't mean, and I mean like not a minute. And so like, how old are you? How old are you here? I was in my 20s. Okay. I don't remember exactly what it was. I was in my 20s. Okay. Um, so your first and I was in your 20s, your first yeah, and a half. Yeah, like, listen, it's really, really important that, like, you have to understand as we talk this story, heroin is going to weave its head in and out of the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of decisions that I made or things I didn't do were predicated by that drug. Um, uh, but this isn't really a story about or a life story about addiction. Addiction is just a part of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to note here, too, that a lot of times, um, I think you and I discussed before about labels, and I think it's really important that one of the things that has always frustrated me about having the uh, issue of addiction in my life is that, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you're an addict, oh, you're a junkie, oh, you're this or that. And then we label ourselves that. We hear it so much that we say, oh, that's what I am. Or whatever your issue is, or one's issue is, we start to call ourselves that. And it's really, really important to know that whatever your life problem is, um, whatever your issue is, um, is that that's not who we are. Like like the way people say, oh, you're an effing failure. Oh, you're an F up. You're a mess up. 
know like you failed at something. It's a moment. It's not you. It's not who you are. It's not who one is. And it's very, very important to know these things because once we realize that we can't be labeled, we're unstoppable. You know, once you once you shed labels and you sh- you you are able to shed those who would point fingers at you and tell you what you cannot do, there is nothing that you cannot do. And you say that, and you say that because you're like, if once you accept that label, it becomes the only thing you are. You feel like it is your totality, and it's not. Yeah, like listen, people would tell me, "Are you effing junkie?" And then I really got to a point where. I was just like, damn, man, I'm nothing but a junkie. I'll never be anything but a junkie. Like, and that we, and that kept me locked up in using for, for the longest because, you know, then it goes to a million other dark alleys and avenues that you really have no business in being. Like, listen, the worst neighborhood I ever lived in was inside my head. You know, uh, I've lived in some bad neighborhoods. <laughs> and none, of them, none of them were as bad as the one in my head and even that you know listen everything's about perspective everything's about you know um like we talked before about obstacle and opportunity it's all about how we see things you know what, what our chances are what we make then you know what i mean um i, I feel, listen right now my life is, is is uncomfortable at best but i had two great friends that actually care about me uh my boy's a hardcore dude but he he wouldn't have anything more than to have me succeed. You know, he's a hard-ass dude. He busts my chops sometimes, but we're real friends. That's what friends do. Like mm-hmm. a real friend doesn't let you sit there when you're at when you're when you're being mediocre and let you f- act like you're lit. You know what I mean? Like you, you're not lit. You're mediocre, and you could do better. And that's really at the end of the day what my boy is trying to do for me. He's pushing, pushing you to be better for better. Pushing Absolutely. You and, and he's had some experiences in his own life that were hard. And he just wants to see me do better. And that, that there's nothing wrong with that. Like, uh, I don't always agree with his methods. But you know what? At least he's got methods. Like, people that swore they loved me and cared about me. And they were my people. And my boy or this girl loved me to death. They're nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when they need me, I'm there to be found. Turn around, you'll see me standing there going, hey, how can I help? You know what I mean? Which is not to say I'm an angel. I always step up and do things when I should. But my heart and my intent and my love for you will never die. And that gets me in a lot of trouble because I put way too much of myself out there when I sometimes need to rein it in a little bit. Yes. Um, But so to recap, because I think we're going to have to, I know we're going to have to uh, put a pause here and do one more um, episode where we finish out the rest, but where we are, I know, I know, this is gonna happen. I know, but I know. And, and you know, it's, it's okay. I give much of my time and story and effort and whatever you ask me, I'm willing to do it. Well, uh, the great thing for me now is okay. So we got this now where you're in life and you have, um, you're now saying, okay, I have a problem, you know, and I have to admit to myself that what I'm doing is not who I want to be but at the at the on the other hand it's an addiction you know like I this thing this part of this addiction is also pulling you back into that dark space right um Absolutely. but then like you said there's this other part of you that's like what am I doing what's going on here who am I and you know and I get that cross with the labels because when you start trying to figure out who you are if you say I'm just an addict because everyone says I'm an addict then you're like I have to accept that 
And it's, yeah. it's not necessarily that, but at the same time, the addiction is a part of what's going on in a, a big piece at this point. Um, sure. Because it has right now, and it's me. It is me, but it's, you see, here's the thing that's so crazy about that. It is me, but it's not all of me. No. And but when it's happening, when you're in it, when you're caught up in it, it feels like it's all of you. Yes, it feels like it's all of you. And, and, and there's a part of you and for me, I would say that's that God piece where that light was trying to come into that dark space. Because at this point, I think it was safe to say, like, the world is dark. You know what I mean? Like, you're taken over at this point by this this uh, drug habit is now taking, it is now ruling and is having its free reign, right? And there's yeah. a light that is still shining that comes in and you say, wait, what am I doing? Wait. And then you start the road to um, trying to get rid of this addiction. And that starts in your 20s with your first stint in the hospital. And like you said, at, at, you've been in and out since then. And we're going to talk about this more next time. And that mentality and that fight and what it takes to just keep pushing, um, keep pushing. Can I add one thing before we go? Go ahead, add, add it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, you're good. And we'll get to this person later. Um, there was a person that came into my life, uh, a girl by the name of Ariana. And I want to say her last name. But there was a girl that came in, Ariana. And we um, actually dated when uh, I separated from my wife. And I was living in Albany, New York. And um, um, we continued to date on and off for a period of time when I was in New York City. And she died of a heroin overdose. And uh, at the age of 22, and she had actually gone to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and um, had a degree in astrophysics. And she was about to go to Rutgers and get a medical degree. And she um, actually had an incident when she was younger where she got involved in some bad things and had actually burned down her high school gym. But that's a whole other issue. But anyway, that's how I met her through getting a job where she was doing like community service type stuff. So she didn't have to go to jail. And um, in her obituary, there was a girl that was spoken to and she said, Ariana was so naturally smart that she didn't even have to study. She would just walk into a test and write down the answers. And like, that's what it is with addiction. Like Ariana was so smart. Like she really was the girl that, and she also modeled. So she was beautiful. She was funny. She was intelligent beyond measure. Stuff that would have our heads spinning, and at least mine. And, um, you know, it didn't save her. And, like, that's how powerful this thing is. You can't smart your way out of it. You're never going to outthink it. You're never going to box it better. Uh, you know, it's like getting into the ring with Mike Tyson's prime. Every time you get in there and you think you're going to beat him, he knocks you clean out. And that's what heroin does. And, unfortunately, it knocked her clean out for good. And um, I just wanted to say that in telling my story and sharing my story with all these wonderful people that are listening and, and hopefully getting some hope and some knowledge and either and maybe even disliking me from parts of my story, whatever, um, they're getting something from it, even if it's dislike. And, um, uh, you know, I want it to be known that um, I had this in mind from the beginning of telling my story that I wanted to mention her and say what a wonderful blessing she was from God for me um, and how God placed her in my life and was to this day 
um, one of the most wonderful, beautiful, amazing people that I've ever come across. And I still carry her love with me to this day. So, you know, I wanted her to not be forgotten. Okay. And I don't, I don't think people will listen to your story and think that they don't like you or that you're a horrible person. I think it's just a real story and it shows that, you know, life isn't black and white. And it's not even all gray, right? There's sometimes there's a right and there's a wrong, and then sometimes there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. Um, it's all of the above, and uh, the road sometimes to where we need to be is not just as easy as saying, "Okay, today I choose, and tomorrow you're there," right? Um, yeah. And that's important because some people think. Um, that it is. And then some people don't, they, they say, okay, I don't expect that, but then they expect it to be a year, you know, or they expect it to just be two years. And sometimes uh, it's longer than that. And that doesn't mean that you're not making progress. Yes. And it doesn't mean that you're not making progress. And that doesn't mean that you're not in a different place. But I think that uh, being able to look back and seeing where you came from is how you see how far you've come. Right. Because a lot of people don't look and see where they come from. They try to forget it, right? Like it didn't happen. If I can just forget I was that person or forget I made that mistake. But um, that's a big mistake. Like, listen, I, I, you know, they don't say, I mean, I'm not a big fan of cliches, but they are cliches for a reason because they're true. And, um, but one of the, I I feel personally, um, others may feel differently, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made and that others can make from where I stand is to do exactly what you just said. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, I commend you. Uh, is that, oh, I just wanted to go away. I just want to forget it. Um, that's, as a matter of fact, that's one of the biggest problems with addiction because nothing goes away. Nothing hasn't been, nothing has been solved. Things go away when they've been solved. That's when you're done. Mm-hmm. That's when a problem is solved, it goes away because you solved it. There's no problem. So when you don't do any work, you know, it's sort of like prayer and God and, and like, you know, a lot of times people, Oh God, you know, I love you. And could you just, and I don't even mean material things or money or whatever, but they're just like, you know, they feel bad for someone or they want something to happen. And they're like, Oh God, if this just happens, blase, blase. And it does, it might happen. What happens in God's time, it happens in, you know, things in even just lifetime, like it, it happens in lifetime. It doesn't, things don't always happen the way you want them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There are things that I've wanted to happen so bad and usually they happen, but they happen as they're supposed to happen. Not now you can, don't get, make no, make no mistake. You you can uh, uh, put enough positive energy into things that you do change the course, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, I just wanted to put that out there that I really, really agree with you on that. Like, like, you know, you can't, uh, uh, you can't just will things away. You have to do the, the footwork, you know, God grants us things, but you have to put in the work. He wants to see something. He wants to see some effort from his creations. Yes. And then looking through what you went through. And I'm not even a religious person, but that's just something I just know. Yes. But- know, to me, God's, a, to me, God's a spiritual issue. Um, I always feel that, and this is just me, but I feel that, Religion divides us. Spirituality brings us together. And, you know, every war is in the name of this God, that God, that God. But when we all just take a minute and we catch our breath and we say, hey, you know what? I don't care what color you are. I don't care how much you weigh. I don't care how much money you have. I just like you for you. 
You know what I mean? Yes. And you're okay just being you, and I'm okay being me, and it seems to work out a lot better. Yes, it 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 does, and God is about love, and um, he loves you. Yes, and, and he loves you when you made the mistakes. And he loves you when he is helping you come out of the mistakes, you know? Absolutely. And so it's one of the things. You love it when you succeed. He's, the, he's cheering you on. Yes. <laughs> that is the the wonderful thing about, um, you know, about God is that he says, okay, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we all can have grace. And we can all, and the grace means that no matter how good I am, I don't deserve it, right? Uh, because God is saying that you can never be perfect. Like you can never be good enough. And so the blood I send, the blood of Jesus makes us all good enough. And so it's like, no matter how flawed you are to, if you think you have no flaws, because all of us have them, but people who think I don't make big mistakes, we all, even in the small or the big mistakes are not perfect. And that is essentially means we need grace. And, um, and you say, man, if, if we didn't have that, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what we would do. It's kind of like what you said earlier when um, the hardest person you had to deal with was yourself. You know, when people can forgive others, but can I forgive me? And even I hear that when you're talking, you're like, these people are going to think I'm horrible. And to me, it's like, they're not going to think. No, that's not what I said. No, 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 you're, no, like, no. you're like, they probably think I'm like, they're probably hating my guts or this. And it's like, they don't. They don't, but that's that piece in, in you that would be in all of us when you're telling your story and you're giving your testimony that makes you feel vulnerable and raw that says, you know, have I completely forgiven myself? And I look back on that person, you know, it's like we can look at it and see that, you know what, you just made some mistakes and you were a broken person and you had a lot of hurt and a lot of trauma and and a lot of negative things that happen and and hurt people hurt people and that doesn't mean they do it on purpose but it happens and we have all been hurt and hurt people right um but in this I mean, case, don't get me wrong there was times i'm sorry there was times where i like in that time where i was that violent guy that crazy guy and that insane guy literally and like like do we have a functioning alcoholic who goes to work and pays their bills but they just can't stay out of a bottle um I, I look at that time, a period of my life, as I was a, a functioning, insane person. Like, I went to work. I gave my girlfriend money to pay the bills. I was responsible. But I was dangerous and violent. And I was crazy in my mind. Like, like the, the voices of self-doubt and self-hatred and misery and addiction and loneliness and just despair utter dark black despair uh ruled my mind and they were literal true voices that not like schizophrenic voices but just the inner voices but six or seven of them just going like you're shit you're nothing you're you'll never be anything shut up go away you know your girlfriend hates you your job you're a failure just and round and round and manic manic voices just never stopping and the only time they would ever shut up was when I had like a huge release of anger or I did drugs to calm the beast. And, you know, and that's the piece think, oh. I want to really sink into in the next one is that those voices, because now you're going to start that path of recovery, right? You're going to start the path to be trying to be free. And that's a, starting lot, of a path to a lot of things. Yes. Uh, you're going to start the path. Um, 
and that's and and I'm not saying that we I expect or I even think the listeners expect that this is going to be um, like oh okay now we're going to hear now he never made another mistake or he never went back and that's not it the path is uh, but that piece on the path is not just how many times we try again it's a lot of that mental place like you said those voices and quieting those voices and um, and and sometimes it's not that they're necessarily gone it's just that we interject some positive ones in there that st- start to sound louder than the ones that are bad, right? <laughs> um, describe it. <laughs> they start to sound louder. Yes, right. those those positive ones start to sound louder, and I want to really get that that to come across next, is because that path to uh, to get more light in there than the darkness, and it's not oh, necessarily have a three partner. <laughs> yes, you know, it's like it's like I want that more light than darkness because without having to do any labels, you say, okay, I went from a place where the darkness took over to okay, now we have way more light than we have the darkness, and that to sure. me is all about healing. Healing is just finding a way to have there be more light present than there is dark. Um, and the like, the like you said, those voices of positivity are louder than those voices of negativity. And so, uh, next time, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so, I want to thank you, Rick. To all the listeners, please. Thank um, you. Thank you so much. Yes, and thank you. And um, you guys like, subscribe um, to the podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yes, like and subscribe. Uh, we're going to have Rick on again next week on next Tuesday, um, to follow up with the third installment of this. And then the fourth one will be questions. And that will, um, probably be coming after Christmas because we have the holiday break, but that'll give everyone time to write in at this point. If you want to write in, um, at, uh, for what we have discussed so far with Rick, please email me at healingaxdrk. That is H E A L I N G A C T S D R K at gmail.com. And just attention it in the subject line say Rick question, Rick testimony, Rick, just whatever. And we will know that is for Rick. And then what we will do is I'm going to start the next episode out actually with some. Um, questions that you guys have for the part of his life we've discussed so far because we've talked about so much Um, and give Rick a chance to respond to that first um, to hear you guys's responses to what you've heard from him so far and uh, after we do that piece then we will continue on and hear um, all about the 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 rest of this journey that Rick is still on that is very empowering for him and for me. And I know for many listeners that I've heard from so far that, you know, this is, it is very powerful. The testimony when you can hear someone talk about, um, it's just, it's, it, I can talk about when I was broken and I can talk about when I was not, and I can talk about my successes and I can talk about my failures and, um, how, it wasn't necessarily perfect, but at the same time, it was perfect how it all came out to be where I am now. And that doesn't mean that it's something that you would see on a Hallmark card, but it does sometimes end up being a lifetime movie. And that's because it's the truth. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're listening to Rick's lifetime movie here. And I am uh, I'm thoroughly thankful, Rick. And I know you have no idea. As am I. Yeah. Am I, uh... <laughs> I'd like to really quick say, uh, to close out by saying, like, uh, I, you know, 
I am uh, grateful to you extremely a lot. It's been really therapeutic for me and very helpful. Um, and to each and every listener that uh, tunes into your podcast and listens, I'm wishing you all the best. And um, don't be afraid to be you. Be comfortable in your own skin. Step out into the day and face what's coming your way. And uh, you'll find yourself to be stronger, better, and feeling fantastic about yourself. And I think we're going to end on that because that's a great piece of advice. And so you guys listen to what Rick just said, and we're going to talk next time. Uh, See you next week, guys. Have a good day.